Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. So if you would, let's um, look in Genesis 32, uh, verse 1. It says, Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them that the country is Edom because he's Esau, and the Edomites come from Esau. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkey, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me, and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He spent the night there, and from what he had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. Two hundred female goats and twenty male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, When my brother Esau meets you and asks, Who do you belong to and where are you going? And who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift. Sent to my lord Esau, and he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third, and all the others who followed the herds, you are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say, your servant Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought, I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So, if you recall, when Jacob, so long ago, 20 years ago, not for us, but for him, when Jacob left the promised land, he had a dream about angels ascending and descending, what we now call Jacob's ladder, and now as he returns to the promised land, this was like an amazing experience he had with God. And now he's returning to the promised land, and he again encounters a camp of angels. And honestly, if I was going somewhere and I encountered an entire camp of angels, it would lighten the load a little bit. I'd be like, God's on my side. This is awesome, right? He had to be encouraging, like, okay, God is with me. God is with me in this. He has sent me, and now all these angels are here. I feel like he's on my side. And there's nothing like when you, when you go to do something knowing that God is with you, that God is on your side. And he calls the place Mahanaim, which means two camps, his camp and the camp of angels that's with him. 
And this brings to mind the promise and the blessing. I'm sure he feels pretty good about his return because nothing, nothing strengthens the will like a reminder that God is with you. And after he has this encounter with God, he knows he has to make amends with his brother. Comes fresh out of an encounter with God and he knows he has to make amends with his brother. And just in case you haven't been with us, Jacob stole the blessing and the birthright from Esau, who's the older brother. He was the rightful inheritor and the leader. And Esau was left with nothing, and he swore to kill Jacob, because that's what, that's what you do. But Jacob's mother was afraid for Jacob, and so she sent him away. He was only supposed to be gone for a little bit, but he's been gone for 20 years. 20 years have passed. He has not seen Esau since this event. Since he angered Esau so much, he said he was going to kill him. They've not seen each other since then. And now 20 years have passed and Jacob returns. And they say, they say like time heals all wounds. But it doesn't always, does it? Sometimes it just creates bitterness. Sometimes it just festers. Sometimes it's like, I have got 20 years worth of hatred for you, right? And we don't really know. We don't really know where Esau's at, right? Because he's still living, even though Jacob, sometimes Jacob has escaped and gone to this different place and living this different life. But Esau has sat for 20 years and not having the birthright and the blessing. He's got to see it. He's got to live in that for 20 years. And now Jacob has come home. And so we don't really know where Esau is, right? He may not be so happy to see his brother, Jacob. But Jacob has just had this experience with God. And what does he want to do? Come fresh out of the presence of God. He wants to make amends with his brother. Because that's what it's like when you come into the presence of God. When you come into the presence of God, all of a sudden, you're reminded of the things you should do, reminded of the person that you should be, reminded how you wrong someone. I don't, I don't know how many times a deep presence of God has led me to go receive someone else's repentance to me. Just kidding. I don't know how many times a deep presence of God has led me to, to make amends, to go and say I'm sorry to someone else, Right? Um, God gives us a heart for that. I remember when we would have youth camp, uh, the kids would always call, call Thursday night cry night because they all cried. And I hated that because um, I'm not a crier. I don't know if you know me. I'm not a crier. Um, I'm just kidding. No, but it was like, it was like, you're crying. And they would all, and everyone would be like, oh, and you would see, you would watch all these people like just make amends always. It brought everyone together. And it's like, it, it's not, it's not cry night. What has happened is we've spent the week in the presence of God. And now when we've spent so much time with God, you've allowed him to show you what you needed to do. And on that night, that is when you've allowed him to have his way. Okay. It's not, it's not a special night. It's not a special location. This is what happens when you allow God to speak to you and you listen, right? And sometimes, inadvertently, you cry. Um, because God gives us a heart for that, to restore relationships. You're never going to go into the presence of God and God is like, my son, I want you to leave my presence and go tell that person what you really think. You're never, you're never going to hear that. If you, if you hear that, you're spending presence, you're in the presence of something else entirely. They um, might need some deliverance. But so Jacob sends messengers ahead, and, and he noticed the wording of his message. I don't know if you noticed how many times this comes out. And this shows how much he wants to make amends. He keeps saying, your servant, Jacob. 
And he tells his servants, when you come across him, say, your servant, Jacob, right? And he keeps saying, my Lord Esau. Now, you know, he's got to change your heart. How many of you would go to your sibling and be like, your servant, Nathan, my Lord. You know, that's like, you know, you know, because, you know, a sibling would be like, could you, oh, sorry, I missed that. What did you say again? Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. You're what? Yes, yes. That's how it always should be, right? So he's had a change of heart, and he keeps saying, your servant Jacob, my Lord Esau. And honestly, this isn't the, the truth of, of the way it is, because the, the prophecy was that the older would serve the younger. Like Esau should be referring to Jacob because he has the birthright and the blessing. Esau should be saying, your servant, and calling Jacob, my Lord. But Jacob is coming to Esau in humility. Jacob is coming with humility. And it also shows us like the difference in the, in the physical and the spiritual. At one point, Jacob probably would have never wanted to say, my Lord, your servant. But he's come to realize that it doesn't matter what he calls Esau. Because Jacob is who he is in Christ. Jacob knows he has the birthright and the blessing. It's not, it's not changed by, by what is spoken. And honestly, if we followed Jacob, we might be a little, and Esau might be like, because when someone continuously wrongs you, and then they come to you with a heart of humility, how many of us are like, this is great. They've changed completely. This is awesome. Everything I hoped for you. Or are you like, hmm, now my guard's up twice as high. Yeah, you know, because Jacob is a liar. He's a deceiver. Like, this is what he does. Like, he's, he's, his words have always been just covered in honey, right? I, I mean, if I were Esau, I'd be like, mm -hmm. you know, I hadn't given you much thought, but I want to kill you again. You know, like, not really. I talked a lot last week about, like, wanting to kill people. And Daisy's like, this is going to be on the internet. But I was, just I was just trying to, like, identify with people, you know? Yeah, you know? Um, so... So I don't know if Esau is like, I believe this, this guy has changed, or if he's a little like, hmm, let's see, right? Because everyone knows, I mean, when I first became a Christian, I mean, there's a, I, I've seen so many people get saved, and then they go to talk to people, and they're like, they just see me as the same person. And you're like, well, yeah, you know, last week you were a different person. Your people aren't just going to believe you all of a sudden. You prove it. You've changed. Prove it. Show me. And so when you first get saved, go around and be like, be like, your servant, Nathan. And they'll be like, this person's different. They're even talking like they're from a different time period. But then they'll be like, I think they're in a cult. Um, but Jacob, he's been quite the deceiver. He deceived his father, deceived his brother. And, and though he met his match with Laban, there was still a game being played, right? All his relationships, there's like a game being played. You know, does anyone know anyone like that? Just point if, no, I'm just kidding. Like, like, and even though God was blessing him and Jacob was aware that it was God's doing, he still just had like an underhanded craftiness to him. He always had this like, I'm just going to help out. Just help God out because I've got this plan, right? Uh, and, and that's just who he was. And, and I don't know if Esau believes who he is yet. Is it a false humility? So when the, the messengers go out and they come back to Jacob, they inform him, yes, we saw Esau. We told him what you said, and he's coming to meet you. I'm like, well, that seems good. He's riding out. He's coming out to meet me. That's awesome. He must be happy to see me. He's coming with 400 men. Hmm. 
maybe not. Who are these people? I don't know 400 people, right? I, and now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, it says in great fear and distress, Jacob split his company into two groups. He immediately forgets, right? Jacob, he's like, there is a company of angels with me. I will call this place two camps because there's a company of angels beside us. And they're like, well, your brother's coming 400 men. And you're like, Ooh. okay, well, now he's got fear and distress. And so he immediately forgets about the camp of angels and he begins to operate out of what? Fear and distress. He begins to operate in that, right? And again, we see this difference in the physical and the spiritual. There's a difference. He's just called this place Mahanaim, which means two camps, a camp of us, camp of angels. But in his fear, he made Mahanaim into two camps of people. He splits his forces from one large camp into two smaller, weaker camps out of fear and distress. When operating in the spirit, when operating in faith, it was two camps, a camp of angels and his camp. But then, out of fear and distress, he makes it two physical camps of his own people, split and afraid. He didn't call it three camps, right? And they're, they're split and they're afraid. And, I, and I'm not sitting here, I'm not sitting here thinking, and I don't know if you're thinking this, if you're like, man, you know what? We should have just had more faith. So often we like read in books, read in the Bible, and like something amazing happens, and then the next thing we see, they're like operating in fear. And you're like, you're an idiot. I would never, ever do that. Not me. Right? But then we see in our own lives what happens. The minute something happens, we're like, ugh. And, and we don't realize that often God is giving us this amazing moment before this happens so that we know where we stand before trouble comes, right? God, why is God even showing him an army of angels? Welcome back. Here's an army of angels. We just wanted to greet you in the desert. Blessed. Walk on. Or did he want to show Jacob, look at what's at your back for what you are about to see. Remember who I am as you come up against this. I just want you to, to give you a glimpse of what is on your side. So, and I can't even imagine the fear and distress that would cause you to split up your family into two different groups so that if you're attacked, everyone doesn't die. Can you imagine that? Splitting them up like, I don't want everyone to die. So I'm going to put you here and you here. And you look, looking at the groups and saying, oh, if that group dies... But if this group dies, you know, it would, it would be overwhelming. I would never want to face that decision. I, I saw something the other day about Anne Frank, and, and, um, and I thought about her father because her father actually survived. And I thought about him and what, that in, that, in the, the moment we have to make a decision, do we flee? Do we hide? How long do we hide? Where do we hide? Who do we trust? And your entire family their life depends on your decision. That is great fear and great distress. Because not only is it the distress of people that you love dying, but the added distress of, it was my fault. I made the wrong decision. And you can't always make the right decision. You don't know how it's going to turn out. But like 
This is a great fear and distress upon Jacob. There, there is weight here. It's not like he just forgot about the company of angels when something hard came. It's he's so focused on the consequences, what could happen, who he might lose. And he's operating out of that. He's trying to solve it because that's what he does. That's what we do. We try to solve it. What can I do? What can I put in place? How do I solve this? How do, how do I make this? But he cannot solve this in the physical. He can't. None of his schemes are going to work. He can't get out of this one with words. He can't get out of it with deceit. This time being clever is not going to do it. He can't solve it in the physical. And he's so sure that Esau means him harm that not only does he split his camp into two parts, but he also sends Esau 550 animals. 550 animals. This is a gift fit for a king. This is a gift fit for a king. Isn't it funny how when things would things like, you know, he's building up his wealth, he wanted the, the blessing. He wanted the inheritance. You know, he wanted to be a big man and he gets all this stuff. And then when it comes down to it, when you're in the place where you're splitting your family up so they'll survive, you're like, take it all. Take it all. Take everything I have. Take everything, I, everything I've worked for. Take the last 20 years and take it. And just please spare my family. I don't care about that anymore. What I once cared about. What he, he worked hard to get those animals. He worked a long time to get those animals. But when it comes down to it, he's like, if it will spare my family, take it all. Take it all. I want you to have it. It means, I thought, it was really important to me. But when it comes down to it, it means absolutely nothing compared to this. So he sends these animals on ahead. And one time he was only concerned with his wealth, titles, but he's willing to give it all up. And this doesn't really seem like a man who believes God is on his side. Does he? Does it seem like he believes God is on his side? He can't really be sure, can he? Even though God said it. We can't really be sure, can we? Because we're like, yeah, I know you said that, God, but I know who I am. I know who I am. I know you said you love me, but I know who I am. I know you said you would forgive me, but I know who I am. And, and even when he was up against Laban, like he was innocent of his wrongdoing. And sometimes when we're innocent of something, we like feel a little bit more like God's on my side. I'm innocent. I will stand in that. I am in the right. I have done nothing wrong and I can be confident God is on my side. But this time, he's guilty. This time when Esau comes for him, Esau is coming for him for something he did. And sometimes when we're guilty, we're less assured that God is on our side, right? It's a completely different thing when you know that you're guilty, right? We want God to be a God of justice until the justice comes for us. And then we're like, well, God, you're a forgiving God. You're a graceful God, a God of mercy, right? 
But then for other people, we're like, you are a God of justice. And he's like, I'm a God of mercy. And we're like, justice, right? Like, so it makes us a little bit more nervous when we know deep down we might be reaping what we've sown, right? You're like, is God going to spare me of this? Or am I going to reap what I have sown? And so he, he's unsure. He might not be unsure of God, but he might just be unsure God is on his side because he knows who he is and he knows what he has done. And we act the same way. We act the same way. It's like we have a hard time believing God will bless us. We have a hard time believing God will be with us. We have a hard time believing all the promises of God because deep down, I know who I am. And you're like, does a God, a holy God, is he on the side of people like me? So Jacob is really just a lot like us in a horrible situation. And Jacob is at a place where he has to face his past. He's got to face what he's done. And we can see that he carries this shame. We can see it throughout the dialogue. If we look, when he thinks, it says, I will pacify him with these gifts. The original translation is, I may cover his face. I will cover his face. The word he uses for cover is kapar, which is also the word for atonement. Then when he says, with these gifts I am sending on ahead, the actual translation is, gifts that go before my face. When he says, later when I see him, the translation is, when I face him. When he says, perhaps he will receive me, he's really saying he will raise my face. And then when he says, so Jacob's gift, when it says, so Jacob's gifts go on ahead of him, the interpretation is the gifts went on ahead of his face. It's a lot of face in there. Pops up a lot. And it's no wonder because when we're ashamed, we don't want to show our face. We say things like, when I see their face, when someone's done something to us, there's something there. When I see that person's face, when I'm face to face with that person, and sometimes it's hard for us when we're guilty to be the one that, that goes face to face. It's hard to do face to face things. It's honestly, it, honestly, it, it, we've made it easier, you know, with the phone and with text and like we can apologize and we can try to make amends that way because you know why? Because it's easier than face to face. And I'm telling you, if you ever need to apologize to someone or make amends, do it face to face because that's where it's restored. That's where you cannot hide your emotions. You cannot hide how you feel. You cannot run away, right? I mean, have you ever tried to apologize to your wife and just been like, sorry. She's in the kitchen, she'll get it. She'll come running in here and be like, I forgive you, you know? But then even if you did that, you'd be like, well, she said I forgive you, but I still gotta go 
see her face to face at some point, you know? I mean, she might be like, and I mean, would that work ever? And you're like, I apologize in text. I sent an emoji, right? It would never work because we know like face to face. And that's where Jacob, Jacob is, you know, like, have you ever done something? You're just like, you'd never want to show your face there again. You never want to show your face. I remember when I was in high school, man, we had it lucky. We, we had it good because when we did something at high school, it was just a rumor, couldn't be verified, right? Or lasted a week. Now these people, it's up forever, right? I can't even imagine living that way, right? But I remember when I did something that was embarrassing or stupid, I would just, I mean, next day I'd be like, oh, mom, I don't feel good. I cannot go to school. Like, like, you look fine. Be like, oh, you know what always works, though? Tummy troubles. Can't be verified. Can't be verified. You know, you don't know how I feel inside. Ugh. Lay sideways. Ugh. Always works. Um, <laughs> I tried that. You see on TV and they, like, put their head next to a light bulb? That's bull. Doesn't work. Don't try it. I know it's too late, but um, tummy is all your way to go. It also works at work. Just don't say tummy troubles, because they'll be like, we need to we need to relook at this employee we have. But so, but I didn't want to show my face. You don't want to show your, you don't want to face it. You don't want to, you just want to, man, maybe it'll blow over a little bit. I don't want to face it because of the shame, because it's embarrassing. And we can't, we can't face it. And so what does this guy do? Jacob, the leader of many, right? He he's the leader of many. He has wealth, he has titles. What does he do when he is at this moment where he could lose it all and not lose it all like all the wealth he's gained, lose everything? Lose everything. What does he do? He's always been so clever. He's always had a plan. He's always had a way. And here he is surrounded and he's got nowhere to go. There's nothing else to do. Where does he go? He falls to his knees and he prays. And this prayer is very different from his last conversation with God. Last time, the little twerp said... If you will take care of me and prosper me, then you will be my God. Okay? You can have me, all right? Just do your part, I'll do mine, right? But this, this prayer has a different tone. He starts out with, Lord, you did everything you said you would do. You did everything you said you would do. And now that it's done... I know that I am unworthy. I am not worthy of the kindness and the faithfulness you have shown me. I'm not worthy of it. We have never seen this Jacob before. We've never seen him. There's no hint of bargaining or negotiating with God. He is at an end. He's reached his end. And finally, he prays a real prayer. God You've kept your promise. You are God. You kept your word. You kept it to me. And I'm unworthy. You know, before he says, if you do these things, you'll be my God. And here he says, you've done these things, and I don't know why you would do them for me. I don't know why you would do them for me. I mean, maybe, maybe seeing the land of promise, coming into the promised land, maybe he's reminded of his father and his grandfather and how they talked to God. 
like, man, when I'm coming back to this place, I'm looking at my grandfather, I'm looking at my father and the relationship they had with God. And then here this God has been faithful to me, the grandson, the son, and I am not in any way a shadow of them, of who they were. They deserved it. They deserved it. They were good. They followed you. I am, I am not them. I am unworthy of all that you're doing for me and all that you've done. Maybe he says, this land, I can't step into this land as I am. This is no place for that Jacob. I can't return as I am. And now he is alone. He sent everyone ahead and he is alone in the camp. He sent both physical camps. So maybe he forgot about the third camp. But he sent the two physical camps ahead and he remained alone. But he's not alone there's a third camp that he has forgotten about. Let's see what happens in Genesis 24. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So now you know that. I know you're wondering. But so here we see what, what we've known. Jacob's struggle is not with Esau. His struggle is with God. He has been fighting God. He's been fighting God. And finally, they come face to face. Jacob has to face God. Jacob battles God, right? And he's been battling God for control of his life, his whole life, right? We, we want God's blessing, blessing, but we want God to bless us in our decisions, right? I want you to bless me in all that I do, right? It says, God says that Jacob wrestled with God and overcame. He, he wrestled with God and humans and overcame. And he did win by losing, Jacob did not win this fight. If you think this is winning a fight, the next time you come across someone who wants to fight you, grab onto their leg and say, bless me, bless me, and see what happens. You might win because they'll be like, I don't know what's happening to this person. And they'll Baker act you and you'll be like, it's in the Bible. It's a... But he, God comes, like God doesn't force you to do anything. He never forced Jacob to do anything. Jacob has been allowed to be deceitful and all that deceitfulness has brought him here. And sometimes we wonder like, why does God allow this to happen? Why does God allow people to be successful in their sin? Why, why do they go unpunished? Why does God allow certain things to happen? And it's because sometimes it is those very things that bring them back to him. And now he's at this point where he is not going to let God go. He realizes you are everything. You are the reason. You, you are, you are, you are all that I want. I thought I wanted all these other things, but this, you are all that I want, and I am not letting go. 
I was eager to let go before. I did not know what I had, but in this moment, I will not let go. I'm not letting go. He finally says, I, I, want, I want everything, God. I want everything. I don't, just, I don't just want your blessing. I don't just want the birthright. I didn't, I didn't even know what those things were before. I didn't know how much I needed you. And now that I do, I'm not letting, letting go. Forget all that. Forget all that stuff I said before. Forget all that. If you give me this, you'll be my God. You are my God. You are all that I want. And I am not letting you go. He realizes God, God is the blessing. I wanted the blessing and I thought it was these things, but God is the blessing. God is the inheritance that comes down from my father and my grandfather. I have been mistaken all along. You are what I've been searching for. You are what I need. And now that I've found you, there is no way. I don't care how strong you are. I am not letting you go. I may not be able to overpower you and take you down, but I am going to hang on for dear life because I finally discovered who you are. And he says, bless me, bless me. And God says, what is your name? Who are you? What is your name? He comes face to face with God and it brings him face to face with his sin. He's got to face his sin, who he really is. He has to confess it to God. He says, who are you? Who are you? When you too, it's like, you know who I am, God. You know. If I really need to say it, you know who I am. You know who I've been. I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. I'm heel grabber. I'm deceiver. I'm supplanter. I'm a liar. That's who I am. And God says, not anymore. Not anymore. And Jacob is born again. God says, that's who you were. But now you are a new creature. Now you are entirely different. You are not defined by that. Jacob, yes, that is who you were. But it is not who you are. And I'm going to change your name. So you know it, that you are not Jacob any longer. And he's made anew. See, he wanted, he thought Esau, Esau will lift my face. That's how I make him in. That's how I make this right. That's how I can return to who I was before I started making all these mistakes. If Esau will just lift my head, if, if Esau will forgive me, if he'll bring me up from the shame and, and, and lift me up, maybe his forgiveness will restore me and things can go back to the way they were. Maybe it'll break me of the shame to be forgiven by Esau so I can show my face, so I can hold my head high. But Esau is not the lifter of our heads. In Psalm 3, 3, it says, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. So often we like hide our faces and we hide our shame. We hide it from people and we hide it from God. And we hide it from God and we keep going and we try to go as far as long as we can because it's just too shameful to show. It's just too shameful for people to know who we are or who we've been, Right? And we're just reminded of these things. Man, this is who I am. This is who I was. But God already knows who we are. 
He already knows what we've done. And his desire, notice his, his desire is like, he doesn't say, Jacob, tell me who you are, and then list what you've done. Jacob, I've got to share a video here, and I'm going to show you everything that you did. We're going to be here for a long time. Does he do that? No. What he does, he brings freedom. He says, say who you are. And then when he admits it, when he says, this is who I am, he says, not any more. Not any more. The same is true for us. He's a lifter of our heads no matter what we've done, no matter who we were. God says, not anymore. Not anymore. My grace is sufficient for you. And we might be like, oh, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. Yes, I do. You don't, you don't know who I am. Tell me then, who are you? Let's come face to face with that for a minute. Who are you? Who are you? We say, well, I'm this. <sighs> this is what I think about myself. This is what people have told me. And I always get mad. But really, the things that people say about me behind my back, a lot of them are true. They might be based on, on things I've actually done. I lay awake at night and think about the things that I've done, the people that I've hurt. I just can't escape it. That's who I am. It's who I've been. I can't go back in time and change anything. I can't change anything. And we can't change anything. But God changes everything. And he says, not anymore. Not anymore. Lift your head, child. Lift your head. Lift it up. You're mine. You are no longer Jacob. You are no longer heel grabber and supplanter. You are mine. You're mine. And you'll be called Israel. And he builds a nation out of this man. Builds a nation. All that he'd done in the past is nothing. It is but a shadow of what God does through him for the world. For the world. Can you imagine Jacob looking and saying, the Messiah, the Son of God, will come from my family? Me? Do you know how my life started? Do you know how many mistakes I made? You're going to use my line for your son? And God says, yeah, because that's not who you are anymore. I make all things new. All things new. And that is what we need to be reminded of daily. Not just when we, when we, when we accept Jesus in our heart, like, oh yeah, he made me new. Because if we get like that, like he made me new, and then I messed up again and again and again. God makes all things new. And he is the lifter. He is a lifter of our heads. We, we, we no longer should we carry around shame. Yes, we're guilty. We're guilty. Sometimes we can be awful, but the blood of Jesus covers all. And when we are born again, that blood says, yes, yes, that's who you 
were, but not anymore. Not anymore. And God says the same thing to us. Not anymore. Not anymore. You are new and you are mine. Lift your head. Hold your head high. You're a child of the living God. And I sought you and I bought you. And you are new. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.